Welcome to The Growth Factor, a broadcast ministry of St. Mark Baptist Church. Today, as part of our family, you will experience the life-changing and spirit-nurturing Word of God. Please enjoy this time with us as we're committed to helping you grow in knowledge, grow in faith, and grow in God. St. Mark Baptist Church, you grow here. Well, welcome back to the Growth Factor podcast, a broadcast ministry of St. Mark Baptist Church. My name is Pastor John. I'm a pastor on staff here at St. Mark. I'm the pastor of Assimilation, and I'm here with our senior pastor, Dr. Philip L. Pointer Sr., and we're grateful for you all joining us again this week. We're in season one of our podcast, and we're talking about knock-off spirituality. We've been talking for the past several weeks about spiritual practices that I call unspiritual disciplines that many Christians practice. And we want to make sure that you all are doing things that are biblical. So we're looking at different spiritual practices. This week, we're going to cover in an episode called Wishing on a Star. This is episode four going to talk about horoscopes and astrology this week Pete. oh yeah oh yeah you ready for that let's go (laughs) so we've had this uh unhealthy over human history kind of an unhealthy uh enamored state around the heavens since the beginning of time right so since then many people have tried to read or as our episode says, wish upon a star because stars have always intrigued us. Mm-hmm. They've been above us in the sky. They've, they've guided many people. And we've had this unhealthy relationship with those things in the sky. And it has manifested itself today to millions of people actually uh, either innocently mm-hmm. looking to stars or horoscopes to predict their future or to lead them on paths. And it is a spiritual practice for a lot of people, including believers. And most people will find that it's innocent in their lives. They say, oh, it's just like me waking up and reading the newspaper. And ironically, they're in your paper, (laughs) right? So they see it as innocent. It's part of their coffee and horoscope to begin their day. Well, today we want to talk about that practice in the context of Christian, the Christian life and Christian ministry. And as pastors, we want to help you all realize that it's not as innocent as it seems, right? So I want to make sure that we start, though, as we do with most of our episodes with the history yeah. of astrology and horoscopes. Yeah, and, and Pastor John, let me, let me add the concern hmm that many, um, I hear from many of our members, people say it, again, some jokingly being trying to be, um, uh, uh, you know, just culturally relevant, those kinds of things. One of the things that is especially troubling is people who find their sense of identity from their horoscope or their astrological sign. Um, That that concerns those of us who are followers of Jesus Christ because as followers of Jesus Christ, our identity comes from Christ and not from our sign. Um, and so, you know, I mean, in, to the degree people won't date <laughs> certain <laughs> signs or they, you know, they, they, they tell their children, well, that's why you act like that. You're such a Taurus, mm-hmm. you're such a Virgo, uh, those kinds of things. Um, and so when we look back at it historically, uh, and as we walk through its practice and see it biblically, we're going to see that our nature cannot be defined by the arrangement of the constellations at the time of our birth from Earth's perspective. So, you know, it's, it's, it, it goes all the way back to the ancient Near East. And so in the ancient Near East culture, uh, you know, they ascribe divinity to the sun, to the moon, to the stars, and to celestial events, comets. Um, and, and, and the like. Uh, so this is why Genesis and then throughout the law, uh, this is why creation is addressed as always being subject 
to the Creator. Because again, our Bible wasn't written in a vacuum. And so Moses is well aware. He, he's raised in Egypt, <laughs> in the house of Pharaoh. He's well aware um, that they have deified these celestial bodies uh, in cultures around them. And in some places in Egypt, there was a cult of a sun or cult of the moon. Um, and, and so it, it's, it's, a, it's a direct address. The, the Genesis 1 directly addresses that these things are not to be worshipped. They are to point us to uh, the one who is to be worshipped. And so, you know, the Israelites are surrounded by all of these cultures that practiced astrology regularly. Uh, and, you know, you go to Ezra chapter 4 and you're going to see uh, that there's a library built uh, in Nineveh by King Osnapper. Uh, around 650 B.C. that has this, you know, this major cachet of, you know, 27 tablets of astrological texts on early cuneiform. So there's, this goes way, way back. It's not a new discovery. It's not a new practice. It goes way back to ancient times. Um, and it, it comes forward then, John, to the Babylonians even uh, after that. Uh, so they thought their gods lived above their earthly temple on the other side of the heavens and that the sky, the Babylonians believed that the sky was the mediating area between humans on earth and the gods in heaven. Uh, so these cultures that looked to the stars hmm. um, to find identity and to predict their future, if it worked, it didn't work for them. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, Babylon is is gone. Essentially, it's where it's where uh, Iraq is now. So that that nation was defeated by the Persians and so forth and so on. Uh, the might and glory of Egypt in its past uh, has has fallen and faded away. Um, so those those nations that looked to the stars to these signs. Um, they didn't make it. Mm. <laughs> they, did, they didn't make it. And so, you know, you look at it, uh, then you bring it forth, you know, because the Greeks, Westerners are always, and Lord help me with this, but <laughs> they're always taking and co-opting and reframing and acting as if they invented something. And so the, the term zodiac is a Greek term, which simply means circle of animals. It's what they took from those far uh, or Near East cultures. Um, those persons who were uh, uh, ahead of them mathematically, mm -hmm. scientifically, they, they then took their systems of faith and co-opted them into what we now call the Zodiac. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then, as we often do in contemporary culture, we take those things and try to add more significant meaning to them, right? So... In Western astrology, as we fast forward to today, the zodiac now becomes this imaginary belt that's surrounding the Earth that has this appearance of 12 zodiac constellations. And y'all know these because you know your sign. Mm -hmm. As he mentioned earlier, most of us know what our sign is. And as P said, we try to make major life decisions based on how we are created as a sign in this constellation. So I'm a Scorpio, so I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna be angry all the time and folks ain't gonna like me. Yeah, That's yeah. just how we do, we gonna stang you. <laughs> um, so folks though, they make major life decisions, who you marry, mm -hmm. uh, who you date, uh, where you go and socialize based on this concept of these constellations that were meant from the beginning to be signs. And astrologers today, have continued to use this concept that we know historically that uh, Ptolemy, who created this geocentric um, model of the universe. So back then, um, he decided that the Earth was the center of the universe. Right. Uh, through his scientific research. Mm -hmm. Now, along comes, and a lot of this played out in the church, Yes. Along comes Copernicus, called the Copernicus Revolution. And he says the sun is the center of the universe. Yeah. We all know that to be scientifically true today, right? The sun is the center of our, um, the earth and all the other planets surrounding our, our it. Our solar, solar system. Solar system, right? Yeah. So the sun being the, sun, the center of our solar system, 
you know who pushed back first on that? <sighs> the church. The church every time. The every church time. pushed back on this idea of the sun being the center of our solar system. And they adhered to that Ptolemy model of the Earth-centered model because they wanted to be stubborn in the way they were thinking. As a matter of fact, he got persecuted severely mm-hmm. for his scientific research and for his um, his outstanding work around this heliocentric solar system that we know to be scientifically true and taught in schools today. Now, here's the interesting thing. Earth-centered generally means that the planet that we live live on is the center of everything else around us. Mm-hmm. It really sounds like the culture that we've created today, a me-centered culture, right? Yes, sir. Because we're the center of our personal solar systems. That anything that revolves around us needs to serve us. Mm-hmm. And we're going to talk about this a little bit in our next episode around manifestation. Mm-hmm. But there's this there's this self-awareness or self-centeredness that comes even with this model that is based on the horoscope model. Now, if you are a believer in the 21st century and you know there's a heliocentric model now and this is based on an Earth-centered model, at the very least, you have to say that this is based on a a false model. Yeah, and I don't know... I don't know if we can stress that enough, John. So l- let me be, let's be very, very clear. The zodiac, your sign, I'm a Leo, I'm a Capricorn, I'm a Sagittarius, doesn't really work because it's based on a time when people thought scientifically that the celestial bodies, the sun and the moon and the other planets revolved around the earth. Mm-hmm. That's how they determined. That's how they determined which sign was which at what time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it 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 was from the Earth's perspective. But we know scientifically that the sun mm-hmm. is the center of the Earth. So the so these celestial bodies that they thought revolved around the Earth do not move around the Earth. The Earth moves around the sun. And the other bodies move around the sun, and gravitational pull, you know, causes that that uh, that pattern that is not quite a, an oval, but whatever that is that the, that the <laughs> Earth is on, mm-hmm. that track that the Earth is on, um, so that whatever your sign is, it's not really your sign mm. because <laughs> you look, it's being measured from the wrong place in the yeah. first place. The starting point is wrong. The, and so you're saying to me, I can't tell people around here to trust the science when I'm walking around trusting my horoscope. Can't do it. Can't do both. Wow. Can't, you can't have the science of the way the universe is working and the horoscope at the same time. Yeah. And let's be clear. Astrology is not the same as astronomy. Not the same thing, no. Right? So astronomy is biblical. We would say it's biblical, and mm-hmm. we're going to look at a biblical text that shows that. But astrology um, is based off of magic superstition. Astronomy is actually based on actual science. It's measurable. Any science is going to be measurable. You cannot measure astrology. It's based on superstition, it's based on magic, it's based on people drawing pictures in the sky. And you have to understand the distinction there because there are going to be some people that say, well, you know, astronomy is, is, is science, so why are you saying, no, there are two different things, there's a distinction there. So we want to look at, um, as we turn to scripture, because we always want to make sure that we turn to God's word as we discuss these matters, we don't want to look at a text that really lays out an astronomical case, but I would argue also a theological case. Very much so. For against um, even diving into uh, astrology or horoscopes, and it's found in the beginning. And, and let me say this as we're going to Genesis chapter 1. So we're going to look at Genesis chapter 1, um, verses 14 through 19, and, and the creation account, uh, which I think is one of the most critical aspects of understanding God and scripture as a whole. It's, it's, it's the beginning for a reason. Um, yeah. 
it assumes the existence of God. It doesn't set about to prove it. It assumes the existence of God. It ascribes to God creative power mm-hmm. and imagination. Yep. That 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 God invented wet. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> he invented hot and cold and and those kinds of things. Now I, I do want to say this, John, as we're turning there. These signs, the scorpion, the archer, the lion, the crab, mm-hmm. um, the scales, the scales. People looked up in the sky and said, mm, "That kind of looks like a crab to me." Mm-hmm. Do you understand? Do, do you cancer? That's what happened. They looked up in the sky and said, "That kind of looks like a lion to me." There is no set of stars and it again from a human perspective the stars were not arranged to look that way necessarily for significance or meaning mm-hmm. and you know both of us love movies fiction movies oh, yeah. like oh, yeah. you are star wars buff oh gosh my, yes. my kids now we love mcu we love the marvel com- comic universe we love them all yep so those stories are meant to entertain you not inform your spiritual life correct and that's what that's what these zodiac signs are. They they entertain people because they're entertaining stories. They tell these stories and these myths and these legends. And we've you know I've gone through Greek legend classes and yep. talked about the Greek mythology, and it's interesting stories. But when those things begin to inform your spiritual life, that's when they become problematic. And when they become either substitutes. Mm-hmm or you think they are supplemental yeah. to scripture, you're in a world of trouble right there. Yeah, You're in a world of trouble. Because what ends up happening is we tend toward, the scripture calls us out of self-centeredness into God-centeredness and service to others. That's what scripture is always gonna do. But I want the horoscope to be true because as it does from a um, perspective on earth, so it does with my internal perspective, it makes me the center. Mm. Yeah. It makes me the center. Yeah, yeah, it does. And I, I want to get back, before we read this, I want to get to the point that this is a theological text. Mm-hmm. There, so much time and energy has been spent on trying to figure out how old the earth is based on this text. And Moses didn't have that in mind when he wrote it. Not at all. He's writing it in an ancient Near East culture where the people are surrounded, again, we've talked about this before, with cultures that worship pagan and idol gods. Let me name a few of them. Sun God, mm-hmm. moon God, animals. And when you see this text, when we read Genesis 1, it's not so much God saying, here's when it happened. Right. Here's why it happened. Here's why. And John... One of the one of the things, if, if you've been hanging around St. Mark for any length of time, you've heard me talk about Genesis 1 before. One of the most critical parts of interpreting Genesis chapter 1 is understanding it's a poem. Yeah. yeah. It's a song. It's not merely narration. It is the beginning, which is a which begins with a song of adoration mm. for the creative power of God. This God who makes everything out of nothing, ex nihilo is the term, out of nothing, out of nowhere, God makes this everything. And so when we're reading it, we're, we have to remember we're reading it not, from an in, not because Moses intends for us to have an, in, an investigation mm. He, he intends for us to be informed to the end that we see the glory of God. Mm. So we're not meant to examine the text. The text is meant to examine, examine us. Where, mm. Who is this great God? Wow. wow. What, how great is this God? And intentionally so, so that we can see as God deals with humankind for the rest of Genesis and then throughout the rest of the first five books, this is why this God must be worshipped and obeyed. Yeah. So this very well, well could be put in the book of Psalms yes. as, an, as, as worship to God. Absolutely so. As a poem in worship to God. So let's take a look at 
Genesis 1, and I want to look at 10 through 14, but first I want to look at uh, probably 3 and 4 mm-hmm. to provide some context, right? Yep. So yep. Uh, verse 3 says, And God said, Let there be light. And there was light, and God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. And he called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening and there was morning the first day. Yes. Now, how are we going to measure days and nights? Mm-hmm. God is a God of order. Yep. And I always tell people who complain about me being so structured, I said, let's go to Genesis 1 and have a conversation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> this is how God started the world. Yeah. And then we get down to um, after he creates the expanses of water, he goes to verse number 14 here. And it says, and God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night. And let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. There it is. Mm -hmm. Here's the reason why I created these things. Yep. Signs, seasons, days, and years. years. Not to tell you who you are. No. Or your future. And let them be signs. And let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night. Now, here's the crazy part about that. Those two lights, the sun and the moon, had names in this culture. Yes. And God was like, I'm not even going to name them. I'm not going to name them. Why? Because I don't want you to think I made other gods. Come on. This is not a democracy. No. This is a theocracy. Yeah, yeah. I'm not ruling in a council. I'm ruling all by myself. And these things that you're calling gods are actually created lights by common names he gives them. And, and, and here, is, here is one of the most critical parts of this, hmm. understanding the culture that Moses is writing to. The culture he's writing in and the people he's writing to, the Israelites, here's what they're grasping as they read this. That this thing high in the sky that we see during the day that other people worship and sacrifice to isn't even the best part of God's creation. Mm. Wow. Because there's only one part of the creation yes, sir. that God said, I'm going to put my image on that. Mm. Mm. And that's humankind. So that here's the thing. Humans aren't to serve the sun or the stars. The sun and the stars are made to serve humankind. Come on. Yes, sir. Therefore, our usefulness, they are tools yeah. to measure and mark time. That's, yep. that's the explicit meaning of the text. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And that's exactly what it says. And, and God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth, verse 18, to rule over the day and over the night. Now, that rule there mm-hmm. is not ascribing them any worth as gods, but it is an illustrative point to say that the sun will be out during the day. Yes. Right, <laughs> right, right, right. It's going to occupy. Right. right. Yeah. The, the moon is going to occupy the sky yes. at night. Yep. And look, when you look up, they are beautiful. A full moon, people love seeing it. It's gorgeous, yeah. But that doesn't mean that they are godlike in their nature, right? And here he goes, to separate the light from the darkness. That's a purpose. Mm-hmm. And God saw that it was good. And to your point, Everything's good. First day, second day, third day, fourth day, fifth day, sixth day. He creates mankind to rule mm-hmm. in his image. And he says, very good. Yep. Yep. So, so, so let me, let's, let's go back and look at the, and look at this, this, this blew me away. I'm, I'm a Bible nerd, <laughs> John, as I know you are, but I'm also an information junkie mm-hmm. and a, and, a, and I am a science junkie as well. Hmm. So physicists are now saying, because it seems, it seems how, how, is there, how, how is there light on day one, but we don't get the lights, sun and moon and stars until day four? Yeah. How is that possible? People have that question. Scientists are saying that at the origin of the universe, however long ago they want to measure it to be, at the origin of the universe, 
that the chemical and mineral realities of matter were all light. Hmm. And as they came together, gravitational pull pulled these elements together, they then began to form the celestial bodies. And what we see is space at one time was all light. Right. And gravity coalesced those individual light particles into these celestial bodies, stars, <laughs> and the sun, you know, the sun is a star, and, and these, these entities. So there was light first, mm. then there were the lights mm. scientifically, wow. which is what Genesis describes explicitly in this creation account. It says there was light first, and then there were the lights. Mm. And the intent and the purpose of God inventing gravity wow. was to pull these lights together so as God puts humankind in place we can mark time that is the sole purpose Yeah. other than I mean and there's a spiritual purpose I'm, this practical purpose the practical purpose is that we can mark time mm. that we can mark time and I want to I want to John I want to I want to amplify that um a bit by going to to the post flood experience in Genesis, um, yep. because God is going to reaffirm that purpose. God's going to reaffirm that purpose in Genesis chapter eight. So Noah builds the ark. Um, the flood comes. God washes the earth uh, clean, and then in in Genesis chapter eight verse twenty. Noah gets out of the ark. It's, it's dry now. So the first thing Noah does is he builds an altar. Noah built an altar to the Lord and took some of every clean animal and some of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. Yeah. When the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man, for the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I ever strike down every living creature as I have done. Watch verse 22. While the earth remains... Sea time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. What is governing this sea time, harvest, cold, heat, summer, winter, day, night? What's governing that? It is our ability to measure the movement of the, <laughs> of the bodies of the universe by looking at the stars. God reaffirms the purpose of the stars, even as God, prior to this, reaffirms the purpose of man in chapter 8 when he gives Noah the same instructions he gave Papa Adam and Mama Eve. Same ones. Same instructions. Yeah. Yeah. Same instructions in, uh, in, in verse um, 16. It says, go out from the ark, you and your wife and your sons, sons' wives with you. Bring with you every living thing that is of all flesh, birds, and animals and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth that they may swarm on the earth. And listen to it again. Here's man's purpose reaffirmed. Be fruitful and multiply on the earth. Mm -hmm. And then the reaffirmation of the purpose of the stars. <laughs> so humankind, again, the, the crown jewel of creation is humankind. And the thing that God set in creation, set up for humankind to be able to mark time is the stars. And the purpose of humankind mm -hmm is reaffirmed right after the ark incident, and then now the purpose of the creation around humankind, including the sun, moon, and stars, for the sake of knowing when to plant crops, right. when to reap crops, you know, when to, when to store grain away for the winter. That's, that's the purpose of them. Yeah. It, it's a practical purpose. Yeah. And, and there is a science that is affirmed through yeah. this, right? Yes. And yeah. We do have astronomy, which is a science that is affirmed through uh, the words here, and I'm glad that you read that passage because it talks about a day and night not ceasing, but then there's a text that I want to read in Isaiah 13 mm -hmm, mm -hmm. that talks about a phenomenon that I want us to unpack here for a second because it's going to really help us understand why these things are still a sign, yeah. even when they're not functioning in the purpose that we see back then. Mm -hmm. So um, we're in Isaiah 13. Sorry, mm -hmm. I said 14. 
So Isaiah 13, this is an account of the judgment of Babylon. He's, he's talking to the people of Babylon who, ironically, are people who have this complex system of being able to read the moon and yeah. the sun and the stars. They have this, this great system in place. Yeah. And, and look at what he says in Isaiah 13. I'm going to start in verse 9 and read 9 and 10. It says, Behold, the day of the Lord comes, cruel, with wrath and fierce anger, to make the land of a desolation and to destroy its sinners from it. For the stars of the heavens and their constellations will not give their light. The sun will be dark in its rising, Mm -hmm. and the moon will not shed its light. Here's what he's getting at here. He's talking about the judgment of God. Yes. And there are signs that accompany the judgment of God. Now, I'm not trying to get too happy here, but it points forward. Yes, sir. To a day. Mm-hmm. A Friday. Yes, sir. <laughs> yes, sir. Where we see at 12 o'clock p.m. during the day, there's this event that occurs in the life of Jesus as he's on the cross. It says that the sun darkened from 12 o'clock to 3 o'clock, sixth hour to the ninth hour. No eclipse. Mm -mm. In Scripture, when you see darkness, it generally is accompanied by judgment. And what we see in that text is we see God's full wrath and judgment coming down on Jesus so that the sun, as this text says, Mm -hmm. cannot even give light to the day, cannot even operate in its original purpose. It's almost as if God is reverse engineering his creation account. Right, right. Like right. after the fall, he's like, I have to put something in place to get us back where we were. And what I need to do now is make these items that I created for a purpose. I need to take that purpose away so that I can judge the earth, but then create a new creation. Yes. That yep. we'll see in Revelation. Yep. Yep. I won't put a pin there because I'm going to get too <laughs> yeah, happy yeah, here. Yeah, yeah. But this text is really about judgment, isn't it? it it's about judgment. And even prior to the judgment of God that was due to us being poured out on Jesus Christ prior to that mm-hmm. for the immediate readers in Babylon or for the immediate hearers as Isaiah is proclaiming this to Babylon about its fall as you said they perceived their system of observation mm-hmm. to be a system of revelation that's good they had ascribed undue significance to natural events, undue spiritual significance to natural events. And God says, even when you see something happening, you won't be able to tell what it is. You'll be in the dark, (laughs) even as the celestial bodies are giving their light. And and again, judgment, this idea that what you have, um, what you are counting on, depending on, it's ultimately going to fail outside of the life-giving revelation of God that ultimately manifests in the person of Jesus Christ, that, that the wrath that is described in a micro way, mm. uh, in, a, in a small way to Babylon as a nation, historically, ultimately is going to be poured out in a macro way, in an eternal way, on Jesus Christ on the cross. Mm. And we see that the, that the sun is still, even then, just an indicator. Yes. <laughs> Not a determiner. It is still just showing you that there's something bigger mm. happening mm. than what you see. So that's, uh, yeah, that, that Isaiah text is, it's, it's so important. It's yeah, so important. Yeah. It really is. And as we bridge that gap and, and talk about the New Testament, there's one text that I think many of the people who are watching may be familiar with, mm-hmm. but we might mess them up today <laughs> and mess them up on, on the podcast yeah. here. And I yeah. want to make sure that we unpack this a little bit because – it's a favorite of a lot of people around Christmas time, mm-hmm. and it's found in Matthew 2. 
I want to look at the first couple of verses, but also read some of the other verses to provide it with them some context. But first of all, I want to I want to ruin some people's Christmas right quick. Oh, man. Oh, man. <laughs> and talk a little bit about how we celebrate these accounts and how Matthew and the us, other gospel writers talked about Jesus's origins, because right. it's very important for us to understand that theologically. Right. Matthew is a gospel of the kingship of Jesus. He wants to right. present him as a king. So this is why these kings come and bow and worship before him, right? Right. Now, Luke, the gospel for the marginalized. Absolutely. You don't see kings there. What do you see? You see shepherds. Shepherds. You see women being prioritized in his gospel. You see children being prioritized in his gospel. So when we got all these manger scenes in churches, when you got shepherds sitting there with kings— not the same thing, John. I, I also want to mess. I also want to mess it up, and and I tell I tell people this all the time. In fact, um, we've got great friends at St. Mark's Episcopal Church, and uh, we we do a lot of ministry together and worship together often. And they invited me for Epiphany, which a lot of people don't know. That's where the twelve days of Christmas comes from. And Epiphany is when supposedly these magi mm-hmm. arrived at the place where baby Jesus was. Well, the problem is. It wasn't baby Jesus. Mess him up. It was little boy Jesus. He's probably about two years old yeah. <laughs> by the time. So the so the shepherds are at the manger. Mm. The magi don't make it to the manger. He's long gone <laughs> from the manger. As a matter of fact, they call it a house. They tell us in the text it's a house. He's in the house. See, now you're messing point. people up. Yeah. So they didn't make it to the birth. Uh, the original birthday. They got to take their stuff back to Hobby they, Lobby. Right. <laughs> they, they, they missed the whole birthday party. Ain't no cake for the Magi. They did get there. Mm. They were a couple of years behind. And it wasn't three of them. And it wasn't. We don't We don't know how many there are. That's that's one of our. We don't know. We don't know. Yeah. We, we know there are three gifts. It don't say three people. <laughs> right. And generally they travel with in caravans. In caravans. With a bunch of folks. And so there were. There were. Anywhere to tens to hundreds, but y'all can still keep singing "We Three Kings." Yeah, That's no, no, fine. no, no, no. We, you know, I'm not trying to mess up your Christmas fun. <laughs> and and if you got a manger scene with with three uh, three wise men there, you know, you don't have to rip it up, rip it out, and all that stuff. And and you can still use the little drummer boy. I like all of that stuff. I'm just telling you what's what's historically <laughs> and biblically true. Here's the other thing about these magi, John. Um, how did they know? Mm. How did they know? Well, these, they're from the east. Yep. They're from Babylon. That's good context. They're from Babylon. Yep. They learned in Babylon under a prophet named Daniel. Yep. The real meaning and use of stars. They are not to be worshipped. They're not to be used to determine identity. But there would be an indication of times and seasons. Yeah. Yeah. There would be an indication. God was going to indicate that the time and the season of the Messiah, God's son, would come, and they were, because they had inherited this knowledge from Daniel's time Mm -hmm. and Daniel himself, because Daniel becomes the the lead of those guys in in Babylon under Nebuchadnezzar and um, under other kings. He, He maintains his influence and teaches them now they are able to see something happening in the heavens and properly interpret it yeah as a as marking a time marking a season yeah that's good yeah that's good and that's exactly what we're seeing here so i'm going to start in verse one and then skip down to verse nine but i want to make sure we get context around that now after jesus was born in bethlehem of judea in in the days of herod the king behold Wise men from the east, as you Mm -hmm. mentioned, came to Jerusalem saying, where is he who has been born king of Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Now, that's important. Mm -hmm. I'm glad you mentioned Daniel there because you can see his influence resonate throughout that culture so that when they saw the sign, they were able to recognize the sign and show up. And be able to experience this in this text, right? Yeah. So then Herod comes to them and says, hey, <laughs> what gives? Wait, wait, king of the Jews. <laughs> wait a minute. What's this about? Now, this is I'm the king of the, of the Israelites. Yes. Like, he's supposed to know this. 
he's he and here's the thing about Herod and the Herodian Herodian dynasty. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to chase this rabbit too far. I love this rabbit. But <laughs> Herod is not really the king. He's what's called a vassal king. He's a representative. Puppet. He's a puppet of the Roman government. He's also not really a child of Israel. He's not really a Jew. Mm. He's an Edomite. Yeah. He's the son of Esau. And what happened in the period between the writing of the Old and the time of the New Testament is that the Israelites began to revolt. They wanted to establish their identity again. Several people raised up and claimed to be the deliverer, the Messiah, and they were always beaten militarily. So to set them at peace, so to speak, Hmm. Rome began to give them someone who was with them, who was like them, but Rome didn't make any distinguishing. They, you know, Edomite, Israelite, they don't matter to Rome. It don't matter to Rome. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? (laughs) Whatever. Esau, your daddy, uh, Jacob, your daddy don't matter Mm -hmm. to Rome. So they they gave it to Herod and the Herodian dynasty, and his, you know, uh, that, that, that family began to rule. Uh, Judea specifically uh, because Rome just wanted to keep the rebellions down. Yeah, yeah. And they really didn't have any power in the context of the Roman Empire. No. That's what makes them vassal or puppet king. Here's what they could do. They could judge um, cases, Mm -hmm. criminal cases, um, and their real job was just to be politically astute enough to please Rome by collecting enough taxes, by keeping the peace in that area, and by making the people feel like they had some sense of independence. Yeah, yeah. Get, get, placate them, pacify them. So Herod is a politician. Now, yeah. he's a great builder. He builds a whole lot of, of, of amazing um, uh, buildings, mm-hmm. um, but his, his, he's a politician trying to please Rome, trying to keep the Jews pacified, and then he hears, hey, man, the king of the Jews. Right, and that's important because you'll see throughout the Herodian dynasty that anybody who is a threat, even their own kids, yes, they will kill. Absolutely. Even their own sons, they murder because they don't want them to be a threat to their power. So when he hears about this Messiah, it's not so that he can, as he says in the text here, right. go and worship him. No, that's not the point. He got other plans <laughs> yeah. for Jesus. Yeah. So that's what he says. He says, um, go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word. And I, too, may come and worship him. <laughs> After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them. Mm-hmm. So this star was moving until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house. Yes, there's a house there. They saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And being warned in the dream, dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way it's so much so much in there oh goodness so this is a unique miracle i would say celestial event miracle Mm -hmm. john i preached sermon years ago about um the sun standing still called a one-hit wonder Mm. sometimes god does something one time for the sake of facilitating divine purpose and there is no reason, there is no need to repeat that event. Jesus is not being born through the womb of a virgin again. Yeah. That has happened. It was sufficient. It was enough. We don't need another one. The, the coming of these magi, they're coming to worship. They're coming to give gifts. It is a further affirmation, two yeah. things. It's a further affirmation to Joseph and Mary of who Jesus is. Yep. The other thing is it's intentional in the in the in the providential um, planning of God. It's in Herod must seek to kill the Christ child 
because what we're going to see after this is that they flee to Egypt to fulfill the prophecy out of Egypt I've called my my son. son. Yep. That's good. So God sets up this star, this moving star, specifically to affirm in that culture what Daniel had left prophetically, to affirm to Mary and Joseph who Christ was, and also to facilitate biblical prophecy. Yeah. Yeah. That was it. And not just Egypt, the one about uh, Rebecca. Yes. Crying for her, her children. The, the slaughter of the, the innocent. The slaughter of the innocent. Yeah. So many prophecies connected with this miraculous event, but it is a sign that points to the child in this house. <laughs> yes. Who is Jesus. Yes. The, the, the Magi don't say, oh, I'm such a Scorpio now. <laughs> they, don't, they don't say, oh, I'm a Leo. <laughs> they, it, it all points to Jesus. Mm-hmm. It all points to Jesus. Yeah. 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 And, and, and in terms of signs and prophecies and end times, I know people get freaked out about things like that. Mm-hmm. But these uh, celestial bodies also are going to play a role and knowing the end times. Yes. And Jesus specifically speaks about this in Matthew's gospel yeah. in Matthew 24. Because this isn't something that just happened on Calvary on that day. Right. We're actually going to look at a sign here that also um, reflects what we read in that Isaiah text. People will be skipping over this section. Oh, yeah. It's, it's, it ain't cute. It ain't one of cute. <laughs> the abomination of desolation <laughs> and the coming of... So uh, we're going to talk about the coming of the, son of the Son of Man, the second coming, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I'll start in 29. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light, and the stars will fall from heaven. And the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then mm-hmm. will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man. And then all the tribes of the earth will mourn. And they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. Yes. These same celestial bodies that we see show up in Genesis, that we see show up at the event on the cross will again show up when Jesus returns to establish his church. Mm-hmm. There'll be the sun will be darkened. The moon will be darkened. The text says that the stars that y'all are depending on now. Right. To tell your future are going to fall from the sky. Yeah. Yeah. And then he will establish his kingdom. And I know you want to go to Revelation because I'm thinking about it myself, yeah, too. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> We're going to go there. But I want, I want to talk about that, Matthew 24, just a bit. Because here's the thing. So end times are scary and spooky to a lot of people. Oh, we don't know. What, 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 when is it going to happen? What's going to happen? Yabba-dabba-doo. Um, here's the short answer, the most thorough answer I can give. We don't know. If you've been hanging out with me a long time, you know, I always say prophecy is only understood in retrospect. We cannot look at the biblical prophecies of the Old Covenant. They didn't know fully what they were saying and what they meant. We can look back at them through the lens of the of the first advent, the first coming of Jesus Christ, mm-hmm. and say accurately what they meant. But the prophecies about the second coming of Christ are just that. They are for us as they were for them. We see through a glass darkly. We don't, this is not a measurement of time. Um, it's not going to be something that's humanly observable. This is, a, this is a word of hope and warning mm. to trust Christ, to live as followers of Jesus Christ. So there's this idea of the sun and the moon and the stars. Once again, not written in a vacuum, Jesus is telling a culture around him. Remember, the Greeks and the Romans adopted, co-opted, did an affectation of the faith of the Babylonians and the Egyptians and other uh, um, uh, Eastern uh, 
nations. They had brought forward this worship of the sun. Apollos, <laughs> uh, uh, they had, this worship of nature, the great god Zeus was the god who had thunderbolts. Jesus is saying the stuff that this culture thinks is powerful. That's why he says explicitly the powers of the heavens are going to fall. Yeah. That Christ is stronger, greater, larger, bigger, grander, and he's the one whom we should love and serve and anticipate joyfully. The end times for believers should not be a time of fear. Mm. They should be they should be for us a word of one comfort, it ain't gonna be like this always, hallelujah. And then also a word that puts us on notice to serve and to and to and to execute mm. uh, the will of God for our lives. There's gonna be a time where no man can work. There's gonna be a day. Jesus says, I must work the works. Watch his illustration while it's day. While it's day. While <laughs> because it's day. the night is coming. Again, times and seasons. There's coming a time when no man can work. So yeah. to your point. All this stuff is falling from the sky. I'm nervous in the new creation. What is going to be their roles or are they going to have roles? And if not, how am I going to see like yeah. what, what's going to be yeah. what's going to be the future for us as believers if we do believe in Christ? I, I think that's a great, a great question. And I think we've got to go to the book of Revelation, which is going to tell us. Is there a future role, an ultimate role for the sun and the moon and the stars? I think that 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 question, John, because let me say this. Let me tell you why it's important, why I believe it's important. It's, I believe it's important because if I'm determining my identity mm. and my destiny based on something, I want it to be something that's going to be there forever. Yeah, that's good. I don't, I don't want I don't want it to be something that's eventually going to fade and be and be replaced. If I'm still here mm. and it's not, how will I know myself? Yeah. Yeah. How how will I know yeah. uh, who I am? I think so I think Revelation twenty two mm-hmm. really, really locks in on the future and what that looks like for us as believers and then the role of that the sun and the other celestial bodies in the future of um, our state and our existence. Yeah, it? yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and so we've, I think we talked about it with, uh, with Revelation 22, this, this river that's flowing, mm-hmm. these, these, uh, these healing leaves that are on this tree. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but Revelation 21, 22, mm-hmm. So chapter 21, verse 22, John says, I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of a sun Mm. or moon to shine on it. Yes, sir. For the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. Mm. By its light, the nations will walk, and the kings of the earth and will bring their glory into it and its gates will never be shut by day and there will be no night there. Hmm. It will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations but nothing unclean will ever enter it nor anyone who does not what is detestable or false but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. John. Mm. The sun, the moon, the stars their benefit for us in creation will be made void in the new creation. Yeah. I don't find my identity in stars and the sun or the moon or the movement of celestial bodies because that's going to be temporary anyway. I need to find who I am for eternity. Wow. I'm not such a Leo. I've got a better lamb. Mm. I'm, I'm, mm. I, that's that's who I, that's who I look to to define me. Who am I in light of Jesus Christ? What about Christ defines me? Well, His holiness demonstrates that I am a sinner. His sacrifice 
demonstrates that I can be forgiven. His resurrection demonstrates that I can be justified and I can live with, with God forever. When I look at my life in the light of the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ, I don't need the stars to tell me who I am. I just need the stars to tell me it's September the 10th. Wow. <laughs> and and this, this brings to, to bear Jesus' words in the gospel when he says, I am the light yeah. of the world. Yeah. That that reality is going to be in a, a reality when this earth passes away. Yeah. And it's our responsibility as believers to stand up in a world that is darkened and provide them with that light. Because that's the light that's going to sustain them in this next life. That's why Jesus says, let your lights shine before other people so they can see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So even then, our lights are supposed to point to Jesus as the light, looking forward to this day in Revelation 21 where we don't need sun, we don't need moon, we don't need stars, but we have Jesus who is the light of the world. Yes, sir. And our responsibility as believers is to point people to him so that the darkness that pervades this world will be invaded by the light of Christ. And by seeing that and by experiencing that, they'll be able to walk in this new city that doesn't need the light of a sun, the light of the moon, or the light of any celestial body or horoscopes, but can dwell and live off of the Lamb of God who gave himself for us, who loved us enough to provide us with that light so that we don't have to walk in darkness. And, and, and John, we know that this is true, that one day there will be no more sun and no more stars. We know it's true because the Bible says it, but science also says that all the sun, which is another star, and the stars are doing, are they are burning themselves out. Mm-hmm. Scientific. <laughs> They're eventually, every star will burn itself out and die. Hmm. And why would I want to be defined by what is dying to live no more? Come on. I want to be defined by the one who said in Revelation, I was dead. <laughs> hmm. But I'm alive, and I'm alive forevermore. Wow. Yeah. And, and that's one of the things, those are the things we want you all to take away from this, is mm-hmm. that, one, is that, only God knows your end from the beginning. And only he knows the end from the beginning. His creation does not. It may have shown up in the beginning, mm-hmm. but it showed up to point you to the creator, God. Don't take something that showed up in the beginning and make it your idol. Mm-hmm. Allow that thing to point you to the creator, God, who knows your beginning from your end. Yeah, and, and I, to that end, that's what Psalm 19, 1 says when it says, the heavens declare the glory of God, and the earth shows forth its handiwork. We've talked a lot about how the stars and the sun and the moon give us times and seasons, but they're made aesthetically beautiful for a reason also. Mm-hmm. They're not just cold <laughs> clocks uh, to measure time. They're also beautiful bodies to draw us to the glory of God. To see the the wonder of creation should make us wonder about the creator. And so I'm not telling you don't look at the stars. I'm telling you to look at them as much as they reflect the glory of God. And if they are so bright and beautiful and big, how much more bright, how much more beautiful, how much more large would be the God that made them? Yeah. And, And I would just say don't allow those stars to be your guide for life allow them to guide you to life Mm. look up to them and say there's a creator God who says that these things declare his glory and that I am created for his glory so I'm going to not worship them but worship him And, and that's what we really wanted to get at in this episode as you're thinking about wishing on a star or reading those harmless horoscopes This episode really just wants to point you back to where we all know that our hope is, and that's Jesus Christ himself. 
We're grateful for y'all joining us on this episode. Episode four, Wishing on a Star. I appreciate you, man, for unpacking so many of these texts. John, you know we can do this all day, every day, brother. <laughs> I don't get tired of this foolishness. <laughs> we want you guys to actually uh, go and leave a rating review. If you are listening on Apple, it helps with the podcast. And share it on other platforms. We've been getting some really good feedback so far. We actually have created a Facebook group now. You can go and search it. It's the Growth Factor We'll be providing you with content throughout the week to help you to continue to grow. So make sure you go and join that group. Share this podcast. Next go round, we're going to go into something that might get us in more trouble, man. We've been getting in a lot of trouble. A lot of trouble. This time we're going to be talking about manifestation in an episode called It's Above Me Now. Ooh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> y'all don't want to miss that. We yeah. look forward to y'all joining us. We'll see you next go round. God bless. This has been The Growth Factor a broadcast ministry of St. Mark Baptist Church. Be sure to follow this podcast on your favorite podcast platform and join our Facebook group, The Growth Factor, for daily motivational content. Let's keep the conversation going. Thank you for listening.